Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you. We sing your praises. We, we celebrate your wonderful works. We come to your word this morning all because we want to meet with you. Lord, if that's not why we're here, then we wasted time on a dangerous drive this morning because if we're just here to do church, we're missing it. We have come to meet with you. Would you come and make your presence known to us this morning, Lord? Would you bring your word to life in our midst? Lord, may I decrease this morning and may you increase. May we as your people leave this place different because we've been in the presence of our king this morning. Come and have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have the awkward privilege of having a very good friend of mine uh, here with us today. It's not awkward because he is awkward. Um, it's awkward because uh, Todd Sovine, who is our director of multiplication uh, for our district, it sounds very fancy, but it's not. Um, he's a normal dude, but he's one of my very good friends. But Todd came uh, to be with us around a year ago, and he preached a message on discipleship. And since then, I've been going, man, I want to take some time and really begin to break into that and, and, and spend some time on that. And so I had this four-week series planned, taking his message and kind of going, hey, let's slow down and break it down. And this Sunday is the start of that message, and Todd called me on Thursday and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I come to church? Sure. If you look over and see Todd grimacing at any point, it's because I'm not saying it how he would have said it. He has the privilege of coming and watching me potentially slaughter his message. And so pray for Todd this morning. But if you remember back to that Sunday, this may help you. He kept making John stand up next to him and then go sit down. And then John, get back up here. And then John, sit down. What are you doing up here? If you remember that, John was very tired by the end of the service. But Todd was teaching on discipleship. One of the big pushes of our denomination, of our district, and quite frankly of the scripture itself, is that we are to be disciples of Christ, and we also believe that we are to make disciples of Christ. Every one of us is called to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. Jesus' parting shot, one of the last words that he had for his people before he left this earth was this, Matthew 28, we know it as the Great Commission, just the first line, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This was Jesus going, hey guys, before I leave, I want to give you what's most important. What are you going to spend the rest of your lives doing? Go and make disciples. He then begins to spell it out a little bit, teaching them everything that, that I've commanded, baptizing them. But all of that falls under this, go make disciples. One of the problems that we have, and that Todd brought up when he was here before, is that in 21st century America, most of us have a different definition of what a disciple is. We've all heard it taught on this way or that, or we know that, hey, in the Greek, doesn't that word mean this or that? But if we went around and asked everybody, what is a disciple? there's a chance we'd get a different answer for every person that we asked. We, we don't really have a culture of discipleship. And so when we say disciple, we all think of something different. Oh, well, somebody took me through this specific book and that was discipleship. Or somebody did this way. Or some, most of us would say, I've never actually been discipled. I, I, I don't know. 
I read the word a lot in scripture, but I don't really know what it means. In Jesus' day, when Jesus said, go make disciples, every single person hearing him in first century Israel would have known exactly what he was talking about. They would have all thought the same thing because discipleship was something they saw on a regular basis. They would have heard about a rabbi making disciples, and they all would have thought of the exact same thing. So let's talk about that here for a minute. What would have come to the minds of first century Jewish audience when they heard the word disciple? Whether it was Jesus' commands, or you read in the scripture, there was disciples of John, and disciples of this Pharisee, and disciples of Jesus. They would have heard that word, and all had very similar thoughts. What would they have thought of when they heard the word disciple? Student. Okay, student, follower, good. Did she take yours? Okay, okay. Why would you steal a thunder, Cheryl? Just take one. No. There's, there's that idea of there's a teacher and a student, and this idea of, of following the teacher. Okay, what else may they have thought of? Was this a nine-to-five gig? They just went to school and then went back home afterwards, like we tend to think of students and teachers? I appreciate the enthusiasm. Is that what it was? What was it? Okay, it was a lifestyle based on that teacher's, you said, presentation? Okay. Okay, that when, when we talk about like following now, we kind of mean it like in spirit. Back then, it was literally, I go where you go, I, I do what you do, what you say, I say, and it was a full-time gig. This following that they would have connected with discipleship was a all day, every day. Like to the point where when a rabbi would call a disciple, he was basically saying, you're a part of my family now. You're going to live with me. You're going to eat with me. You're going to see how I interact with my wife and kids. You're going to see how I interact with crowds. You're like, you are my shadow 24-7. Okay, so sometimes we use this thing like teacher and student and like, yes, but full time. And was it just like we're going to learn to like teach like they teach? Was it just like this just doctrinal thing? Or what else did it branch into? Way of life. It was everything. I'm going to eat the food you eat. And I'm going to eat that food like you eat that food. And the way that you treat strangers now becomes the way that I treat strangers. The way that you treat people who are fans of yours is how I'm going to do it. The way you treat enemies is how I'm going to do it. It was this whole life following. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to become you. That was the goal of the disciple. I am going to basically be this teacher. Everything I do is going to be so similar, people won't be able to tell us apart. What were you thinking, David? Okay. Looking at the relationship of a father with his children, like you're trying to, as, as parents, raise your children to believe as you believe and to act as you act. And we're all flawed. We know this. We want our children actually to act better than we act and to believe better than we believe. But it's, it's similar in that way. It was this, 
you are a part of my family now, and your goal is to become me in every way possible. The way that I cut my hair, some of you, you're now going to cut your hair. I hope you can grow a beard. We'll find out. Like, this was what they would have thought of when they heard disciple. Full-time, all-in, the disciple is trying to become the rabbi. That, that is what they would have thought of because they had, it was a part of their culture. It was a part of their shared language, their shared experience. And part of the, the issue that we have is we don't have a culture of discipleship. We teach on it sometimes and we have that word. And again, some people have been discipled, some haven't, but even the ones that were, it all looked vastly different. And so we don't have this shared language. And so we read the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And we all assume it means something maybe a little different, maybe a lot different. And so what we want to do is start to give a shared definition so that when we talk about a disciple, when we talk about discipleship in our church, we all begin to think the same thing. That is the goal. Then we can actually start to get some traction in doing what Jesus told us to do, going and making disciples. Until then, it's kind of this super scattered approach. And so what I want to do is, it's a definition that Todd gave about a year ago, and he just in one shot gave it to us. We're going to spend four weeks looking at it, because it's a, it's a four-part definition of what a disciple is. Are you guys ready for it? Are you excited? I can tell you are by your blank stares. Like, you guys are just ready to go. Here's the definition that our district has been using for a disciple that I think is a really good definition. A disciple is one, this is just the first line, who is called by Christ. Okay, the starting point, there, we're going to build on this each week and work through, but the starting point, a disciple is one who is called by Christ. What does it mean to be called by Christ? Like called to what? What does that mean for us today? To obey? Okay, believe and follow. Okay, to live like him. We've been called to live like him, good. Okay, to live in relationship with God, great. What else? What are we called to? What does it mean to be called? To serve. Okay. Okay. So, it, like, our attention is called by Him to focus on Him. Okay, good. Any other thoughts? She's paying attention. I'll give you that. Okay. Called to, to do what he did, which was making disciples. Jesus didn't like do one thing and then at the end go, oh, hey, guys, new idea. Go make disciples of all nations. Like he had been doing it and now he said, I'm calling you to do the same thing. Kitty, I love you. Yeah. There's this, this component of community that we're called into. It's not just this individual thing, but we are called to do it together. Excellent. Other thoughts? I think it, like, also is thinking about disciples that are not necessarily already following Jesus, but, like, the Holy Spirit's at work in their life, and they're, like, Ian was describing, like, being drawn to him, mm -hmm. and, like, we get to be a part of that in, in discipleship. Okay. 
So I want to make sure that we're very clear on this word calling when we say a disciple is one who has been called by Christ. Because the word calling has kind of been co-opted a little bit and the the, the meaning can be different depending on how we're using it. There are many who talk about their calling in terms of a vocation. For a long time, you would say that like I was called to be a pastor and someone was called to be a missionary. The hard part was at that time they would say, and you're just a plumber. And there was this tiered program that I hated. So now, in some ways, it's a healthier step where we go, man, I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to be a doctor. I'm, I'm called to be a laborer, whatever it may be. And we have this idea of calling as a vocation. Like I said, we're getting healthier by applying it to everyone, not just professional Christians. So that's a good thing. The problem is a calling, when we really think about that word, is like the highest thing that we are called to. When we talk about a calling, it's this is like who you are and who you are to be. And what's the problem with having your calling tied to your vocation? Sure. I clock out of my vocation, and so then the rest of the time is almost mine to do what I want. But this is what God is calling me to during the work week kind of idea, maybe. Okay? Anyone ever lost a job? I have. And if my vocation is my calling, I, Kim would agree, I've lost a lot of jobs, actually. There's stories there. But... When I lose that job, if that job is my vocation, all of a sudden, I lose all sense of identity. I lose all sense of God's calling on my life, and now I'm just adrift. What, how many in here are retired? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Did you retire from your calling by God? Like you no longer have a call because your vocation is? Of course not. So this is the problem with using the word in that way. Again, I don't disagree with like God has uniquely wired and equipped us and given us certain work that's meant to be fulfilling and that he can use to advance his kingdom. I think that is awesome. That's good theology. But I think God cares much less about what we do and way more about who we are while we're doing it. Does that make sense? And so I just want to reserve this. When we talk about this word called, I don't mean your work. I don't, listen, I don't even mean necessarily like some people are like, I'm just called to be a father. I'm called to be a mother. In one sense, sure. But again, when those kids move out and that relationship changes, a lot of people just hit that like, who am I now? What am I doing now? And it's dangerous to tie these two closely together. So when I talk about this called by Christ, I'm not talking about our vocation. Yeah? Okay. So when we talk about calling... There's two senses that we find it in in Scripture. The words I'm using is there's a universal call and there's a personal call. There's this universal call as in God is calling all people to himself. One of the most famous passages in the Scripture is John 3.16. Most of us know it by heart. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you get this sense that God is calling all of creation to himself. It's a blanket call. If you were created, he's calling you to himself. Peter would say it this way in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There is this universal call 
that Jesus has on the lives of all creation. He is calling every man, woman, and child to himself. But I've heard some people when talking about like the death of Jesus and they go, well, sure, but if he knew how many billions of people would exist over all time, it's easy to go, I guess, I guess I'll go because it's billions of people. Like it just so far outweighs it that how could he almost not come and die for, for billions of people? And it almost depersonalizes a little bit. And like, yeah, Jesus is just good at math and it outweighed his own selfishness. But what we find in scripture is, listen, Jesus died for all. Jesus calls all, but Jesus calls you specifically. He calls all individually. When he was on the cross, he thought of Brian. He thought of Shirley. He didn't just think all humanity, oh, they better thank me. He thought of each of us individually. There's this universal call, and there's this incredibly personal call. In, in Revelation, Jesus says this to, to John. He says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And it's this incredibly personal invitation. I stand at the door of each and every heart, and I knock. I call. I invite. And so this, a disciple is one who is called by Christ. In some sense, we, every single human being is called by Christ. There's this big general, he died for the world. But there's this incredibly personal, it was for you. It was for your neighbor, your coworker, by name. He is calling each of us. Sometimes we've, if you've ever had like a big party or something like that, and you just kind of hit send all, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know who I invited. I just sent it out, and I'm going to be surprised when some people show up. This wasn't that. This was, yeah, I'm inviting all, but it's because I know each and every name on that list. And I will be disappointed by each and every specific person who doesn't respond to the call. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Okay, so let's get into this a little bit. A disciple is one who is called by Christ. I asked earlier, called to what? And I just want to give some examples. This isn't necessarily an exhaustive list. And some of this you guys said, a disciple is one who is called to follow. Jesus' invitation to his disciples, like the 12 disciples, he didn't say like, look, I'm the Messiah. I've died for you. Like, because that hadn't happened yet. He walked up to them as a stranger. They were intrigued by him. And here was his invitation to them. Mark 1, 16. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you, fi I will make you fish for people. Immediately they, they left their nets, and they followed him. Over in John, we find the calling of uh, John and James, the next day, John was standing, or excuse me, John the Baptist was standing with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It, they weren't just like looking for a mailing address. They, that was them saying, can we come with you? We, we want to come see how you live. Is that Okay. And Jesus says, come, and you'll see. 
They went and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was this actual come and follow. Go where I go. Do what I do. The calling of Philip, later in that same chapter, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. This wasn't just some in-spirit thing of like, he wasn't saying, be my fan. This was a actually, get up, leave behind the place you are, and come follow me into something new. Go where I go and do what I do. We today are called to follow Jesus. And listen, there is no physical Jesus to just follow around and sit and watch how he teaches. In one way, it's more difficult because he's not right here next to us. In another way, we have a blessing that they couldn't have dreamed of at that point because we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us, going with us, leading us, calling us to follow And many of you know what this looks like when you're in that situation and and your anger starts to come out when the Holy Spirit leads and he says, your anger is not going to get you where you need to be. I have called you to patience. I have called you to gentleness. And it's in those moments that we have to decide, am I going to follow his leading? We have been called by Christ. And that first and foremost means following where he leads. Somebody said earlier, obedience to him. Going where he would go, doing what he would do, saying what he would say as he leads us through his Holy Spirit. We've been called from death to life. Paul Thessalonians, he says, from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have been called to salvation through Jesus Christ. And listen, it does go in this way. It's not believe and then follow. Jesus said, come, follow me. See what my life is like. Find out who I am. And as you follow me, there's the invitation to come, like to to move from death to life, to enter his kingdom. We have been chosen for salvation. We have been called through the gospel. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We'll touch on that one later. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God is calling each and every one of us from death to life. Sometimes that means just that initial step of receiving what he's done on the cross for us and and moving into salvation, entering into the kingdom. But listen, even if you've already taken that step, he's calling you to more life. There's still areas of your life where you're in control, you're following yourself, you're giving into sin, whatever it may be, and he is calling us from this continual move from death into life. I, I think of the story of Lazarus. A story most of us know. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. And while Jesus and his disciples were out and about traveling in the countryside, Lazarus gets sick and Lazarus actually dies. And so after he's been dead for about three days, Jesus shows up on the scene. And everyone, as you can imagine, is heartbroken and they're weeping and they're trying to figure out what is happening here. Jesus weeps with them and then he says, You know what? Watch this. And Jesus goes, he, he walks up to the tomb where Lazarus is standing, or where Lazarus is, is buried, excuse me. 
and he tells them, remove the stone. And if you know the story, they go, oh, hey, time out, Jesus. I love the realness of the scripture. They go, there's going to be a certain smell. Like he's been dead for three days, Jesus. You don't want to move that stone. There's a funk, okay? Jesus says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. So they roll the stone away. And then Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth was around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is a beautiful picture for what Jesus has done and is doing in each of our lives. He stands at the mouth of the grave and he calls you out by name. Terry, come out. Tim, come out. And the dead raise. When Jesus calls... The dead respond. Lazarus walks out alive again. The crowd, of course, minds blown. Many of you have had this, this experience at salvation. Some of you in here, I don't know where everyone stands. Some of you have never responded to that call. Right now, if you can hear the sound of my voice, you are being called from death to life. Jesus stands at the mouth of the grave and he calls you out. He has justified you. He, he desires, as we celebrated earlier, to cleanse your sin, to wipe it away so that you can stand justified. He even says glorified in front of God. He stands now at the mouth of the grave and he calls us from death to life. Jesus calls us to follow. He calls us from death to life. He calls us to transformation. 1 Corinthians 3.18 we all with unveiled faces. That unveiled faces just means those who are following Jesus, the, the barrier has been removed. There's nothing stopping us, hindering us from seeing him. We all with unveiled faces looking in a mirror, as in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. For those who follow him, for those who have responded to his call from death to life, now he says, I'm calling you to be something completely new, something completely other. Praise God, his call to us isn't to be a better version of ourselves. She's not going to like this part. She said, come on to that last part. She's not going to like this part. There's an illustration that always comes to mind when I do this verse. Jesus isn't just calling us to be a better version of ourselves. It doesn't say we see ourselves in the mirror and we just kind of like get better and better. We see him and we become like him. When it comes to this, this idea of, of transformation, of becoming like him, so often we just think it's being a little bit better version of me. I got to try harder. I got to work harder to be a better version of me. You can polish a turd all day long. At the end of the day, you're going to have a shiny turd. That's it. The, the, and she hates it. And I get it. But that is, essentially, that is essentially what many of us try to do. I got to work on myself and I beat myself up and, oh, I can't believe I did it. I got to try harder tomorrow. And we try to become a better version of ourselves. You will never be good enough. You were not called to be a better version of yourself. You were called to be like Jesus. Again, the whole point of that discipleship relationship wasn't just I follow the rabbi and I become the best version of myself. I follow the rabbi because the goal is become the rabbi, that I look like him, that I think like him, that I act like him that his words become my words. His actions and reactions become my actions and reactions. This is what we've been called to, that as we see 
him, his glory reflected back at us, we become like him from glory to ever increasing glory. The big theological word for this is sanctification. You don't ever have to know that word. That is okay. But the scripture uses that word sometimes that we are to be sanctified. That literally just means to be made more like Jesus. We've been called to transformation. Paul, to the Thessalonian church, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, make you like Jesus completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Who's doing the work of sanctification? Jesus. He calls you, and then he does it for you. Does that mean we just get to kick back and like it's... No. We have to keep following. We have to keep pressing in. But he who calls you is faithful. He will make you more like himself if you just continue to answer the call. Paul to Timothy, just a couple passages that talk about this. He saved us and called us, listen, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He has called us, each of us, to a holy calling. Peter, but the one who called you is holy, and you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. We have been called to transformation. We have been called to holiness. Now, a real quick explanation on this word holiness. Sometimes we take holiness and we mean sinlessness. Okay? The idea of holiness does mean moving away from sin. But if God's call for us was to never sin again because Jesus never sinned, we're sunk. Anyone figured that one out yet? I certainly have not. The root of this word holiness is actually set apart. You have been called to holiness to be set apart for a purpose. You've been called out from your old way of life, separated from it, and you've been set apart for these new purposes of God. Amen. And again, will that include moving away from sin? You, you better believe it, 100%. But I'm so thankful Paul even addresses this same thing. In Philippians, he says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. He goes, look, like, if, if perfection is the goal and I got to have this all figured out before, like, we're sunk. But he says, listen, I haven't reached the goal yet. I'm not yet perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Again, he wants to make it super clear. I'm not perfect. I am not as holy as I desire to be, as I've been called to be. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I am going to forever continue to pursue the life change, the transformation, the sanctification, whatever word works for you, that God is calling me to. And when I fall down, I'm going to get back up again because of his heavenly call on my life. He has called me to transformation. The last one we're going to look at, he has called each of us to the body. We have been called by Christ to one another. We've been called to follow him. When Jesus called, let's say, Peter, was it then just Jesus and Peter walking around doing all their stuff? There was 12 guys, if you remember, okay? They were called to community, to follow Jesus together. Does anyone here watch The Chosen? A couple of us. 
uh, I always start with this. The chosen is not scripture. It's kind of a, there's some artistic license taken and all of that. But one of the, the things that they do really well is they show that like the disciples didn't just get called by Jesus and they just got it and followed him no problem. They were all in lockstep. They're like fighting and, and bickering and arguing, which we see in the scripture. They, and at times they were even going, should he even be here? You called me and I get that, but what are they doing here? And it was this struggle to come together, but Jesus is constantly reminding them, I have called you to come together. I have called you, and some of the purpose of calling you was that you would come together as my followers. Ephesians chapter 4, therefore I, uh, this is Paul speaking, the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. I've, I've talked about this a little before. Again, if you've come for a while, you've heard me say this. I love the English language. I tend to speak it most of the time. But sometimes English doesn't serve us very well. One place that English doesn't serve us when it comes to the scripture is the word you. The word you is both singular and plural. Depending on context, it can mean either one. How do we tend to read the scriptures? We read it with a singular point of view. What does God have to say to me? What was Paul writing to me? And so we can get tricked into reading this to go, man, the calling that you, Justin, have received. This is where, this is the only place you will ever hear me say this, where I would argue for the word y'all. I hate the word y'all. I hate that you can just put an apostrophe in there and make a word, whatever you want to make it. But there's times in the scripture when I go, man, that would be better if it said y'all. What this should be reading, and this is going to sound weird, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge y'all to walk worthy of the calling that y'all have received. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as y'all were called to one hope at your baptism and y'all's calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We were called to it together. And we need one another. Patience, bearing with one another. He goes, look, this is not going to be easy. But I'm calling y'all to each other. First Peter. But y'all are a chosen race. A royal, am I going to do this the rest of the time? No, just this verse. But y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his possession, so that y'all may proclaim the praises of the one who called y'all out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once y'all were not a people, but now y'all are God's people. This feels so weird. Y'all had not received mercy, but now y'all have received mercy. I don't know why, but when I say it, I got to kind of give it a little dip, but we have been called to the body, called to one another. It is impossible to follow Christ as you should by yourself. We were made for one another. We've been called to each other to follow him, 
from death to life, to transformation and to one another. And listen, we could keep going from here, but there's one very important one that I've left off. If I was making this list, somebody just said, real quick, give me the things you're called to, this would need to be the first one on there because if we forget this one, these other ones become actually a little bit dangerous. It's actually, it's the next line in our definition of a disciple. We're going to look at it fully next week, but I want to touch on it here. A disciple is one called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ. The first call from him is into loving relationship with him. Even that initial call to follow, if we miss the context of this loving relationship, things can get sticky pretty quickly. If these callings that we've looked at, as good and as true as they are, if they're removed from the context of loving relationship, they become at best laws to live by and doctrines to memorize. At worst, they become burdens that weigh us down. We, we have been called to follow him. But listen, without the context of loving relationship, we've been called by a teacher and we're the student and we better get it right. All of a sudden, this relationship with Jesus becomes very pass-fail. How many times have I let him down and how many times have I held up? Because, like, listen, most teachers you, will fail a student, right? That's kind of how we tend to think about teacher-student. Because it's out of the context of loving relationship. It's simply either you're good enough or you're not. And again, back to the original question I asked, are any of us good enough? No, and we know it. And so many of us have this kind of relationship with Jesus where we're trying to follow him. We're trying to do the things the word, the word says. We miss the loving relationship. And so we just have this guilt and shame that we carry because I know I let him down. He called me to do this and oh, I blew it. I can, he's got to be so disappointed in me. He's got to, because we miss the loving relationship piece, this call to follow him becomes a weight. Now I have to follow him. I have to go tell him what I did. I, oh, I can only imagine how he is looking at me right now. On our best days, I hope I do good enough, but I know in the back of my mind, I can't. If we remove these from that context of loving relationship, these actually become dangerous to us. Even this call from death to life, man, what Jesus did on my behalf, if it's taken out of the context of because he loves me, and he desired to pour out his grace on me because he wanted to know me. If I remove that, then all of a sudden he did this, and now I owe him a debt that I know I can never pay. Have any of you ever been in debt, like the kind of debt that you go, I think that we just carry this for the rest of our lives. Like, I, I don't know how we overcome this debt. It becomes crushing. I owe what I know I can never pay. Apart from loving relationship, even his death for us on the cross becomes a new source of guilt, a new weight to carry. He did that for me, and like, what do I have to give him back? Even that, the most precious gift, apart from loving relationship, is dangerous. The call to, to transformation becomes a law to follow. Here's a whole bunch of rules, and you better not get any wrong. He called you to be holy, and don't you dare forget it. How dare you pick that up? How dare you look at that? It might as well be a call to failure. Because like Paul said, if, if the Apostle Paul was standing there and going, I haven't reached it yet. I, I, man, I'm trying every day and I still haven't made it. 
let's be honest, we don't really have much of a chance. Apart from the loving relationship, all that is is a reminder of how we fail every day. But in the context of love, it's this invitation, keep trying. I have not removed, as Paul would say, my heavenly call from you. Keep coming. Yeah, you fell down, but you know what? I love you. Get up. Let's do it again. You know what? It's it's because you took your eyes off me. Let's do it together. Come on. It completely changes the callings in our lives. Listen, the call to the body. Many of us have seen this go real, real bad in the past. And it tends to be when we forget that his love for us is the thing we have in common. When that gets removed, we're good to be a body as long as we all agree on the same thing. As long as we would all check the same boxes, as long as we would all vote the same way, as long as we would all interpret that scripture exactly right. But as soon as there's a fracture there, well, obviously we can't do this together anymore. What do we even have in common? You don't even believe the Bible. Instead of going, you know what? We have the most important thing in common, his love for each of us. And so are there some points when like, hey, you know what? We probably just can't walk together if we don't have some, like, sure. There's some things that like we need to agree on. But I think all of them might have the name Jesus. You know what I mean? Pretty quickly, we tend to just run of like, you know what? It's just hard. You don't like, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some of that grace and patience that Paul was talking about. And I don't really want to do that. So I'm just going to go my own way. But when we remember that the love the Father has for us is the one thing, the one bond of peace, as Paul would say, that we have in common, all of a sudden now what can separate us? Let's work through it because we have the most important thing in common. But when we forget that loving relationship, first disagreement, we're out. It's not worth it. You're not worth it. We have been called to one another because of his love for each of us. So let's lock arms and let's respond to that call. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship. A couple passages to end it here. Jesus talking to his 12 disciples, and he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. And listen, let just let this sink in. You did not choose me, but I chose you. While you were dead in your sin, Paul would say in Romans 5, 8, while we were still enemies of God, he chose us as a people for himself. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Let that sink in for a minute. While you were dead in your sins, while you were actively rebelling, he chose you. He called me while I was dead in my sin with not a single thing to offer, and he calls me friend. Ephesians 1, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Before the foundations of the world, before God created time, 
He called you. He chose you. Before you had ever done a single thing to be worthy of it or unworthy of it, he knew you and he called you. What should our response to be? What's the, what's the proper response to the fact that he has called us in this way? As undeserving as we were. Listen, even before time began, he said, Janetta, you're mine. What should our response be to this? Follow. follow. Okay, yeah, I listed out a couple earlier. We could, to follow him. What else? Humble gratitude. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Rest. Rest. I did nothing to earn it. <laughs> I should probably stop taking myself so seriously. Okay. Obedience. Obedience. Worship. Okay. Worship. Peace. Peace. Was that listen? Okay. Like listen and obey kind of idea. Okay, so like actually just like incline your ear, listen for more. Okay, awesome. One that I think that we can miss if we're not careful, because we talk about what Jesus did so often. We celebrate communion a few times a month, and it can kind of just get a little rote. Yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Like we, we know it, but sometimes we can kind of forget just how awe-inspiring it should be. I think, uh, honestly, a proper response would be overwhelm. When was the last time that you were overwhelmed by God's call on your life? When was the last time that you stopped and just looked at it right in the face? And you're going to have that, man, I don't deserve this. That's a part of the overwhelmed. But he called me anyway. Sometimes we lose that sense of awe. And I think it's worth spending a little time trying to recapture it. Don't let this just become, yeah, 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 we know he called us. And some of you could quote those verses, like you know them. But we start to lose that sense of awe of them. I, I think of David in the Psalms. I'm going to ask the music team to go ahead and come up as we, as we get ready to close. David, just thinking over these things, it, it sounds like in Psalm 8, David was just out one night, maybe in the pasture, looking up at the skies. And he's going, man, like, look at the heavens that he made, that he spoke into being. And he's just overwhelmed by God's creation. And in the middle of Psalm 8, he says this, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him? David, I'm so grateful, spent time out in God's creation. It seems like specifically to, to remind him, whoa. This is who I serve, but you cared about me? You called me. Again, it wasn't just this blanket, all people. You're all welcome if you want it. You specifically call me? Who am I to deserve this? What is the son of man that you look after him, that you care for him? We're going to sing a song called Overwhelmed. And my hope is that we just kind of create a little space to sit and ponder this. Who am I that you would call me? And then just celebrate it. There should be a sense of awe, a sense of, of overwhelm to his call for us, for his invitation to loving relationship with us. May we never lose this church. Amen? Let me pray, and then we'll sing together.
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your many, your many faceted call. A call for our good, even though we don't deserve it. A call, Lord, that you paid the price for so that we could simply receive it. And you didn't leave us alone. You even, you even gave us each other in the midst of this. Lord, who are we that you would think of us? You're, you're the God who spoke the world into existence. You're the God who has, who has crafted billions of lives. Who am I that you would look after me? Lord, may this truth forever overwhelm me, forever lead me to a place of worship and awe, because I am so undeserving, but you have made me worthy. May that forever just rock us back on our heels, God, I pray. Would you just come and move in this place now as we worship you in this last song? May you renew that sense of awe, Lord, that probably most of us felt that first day. And some of us have been doing it so long we may have lost. Would you come and just renew that in us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.